Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. What type of leader are you? It matters because how you're hardwired will impact how you experience and respond to change or the need for change. I'm Ron Huntley, your host, and our guest today is one of the wisest church consultants I've ever had the privilege of knowing. This podcast was recorded before I realized how necessary it is for guests to have a mic connected to their computer. I did what I could to improve the sound. However, the audio will take a minute to get used to, but you'll be glad you did. Enjoy today's rich conversation. Lift off when the clock has started. Leadership is difficult. Doing leadership well in the church is really difficult. One of my friends, Brent Dolfo, is a self-employed ministry consultant and coach. I met Brent first through Alpha Canada. He does work with Alpha Global. He's done some important work with us at St. Benedict Parish early on, an important part of our history. And also we reconnected again when we did some work with Parish Catalyst. Uh, Brent is our guest today. Welcome, Brent. Great. Ron, happy to be with you. I'm a big fan of yours, so glad we can spend some time together. We're going to have fun today. Brent, you've impacted the work that we've done at key times in our life, when we really felt stuck and needed help, you are the person that we reached out to, and you really did help us see past what we couldn't see past. I know you've been a blessing to leaders in different traditions uh, and also in different countries. How would you describe the different buckets of work that you do? Uh, that's an interesting question. You know, my uh, purpose statement or why I think God's called me into existence is to come alongside senior leaders and their teams uh, to help them reach their kingdom potential. And so what I love to do is come alongside people for a season or sometimes a little longer and uh, just be another set of eyes, another set of ears, and maybe take some of the things that I've had a global chance to see where the kingdom's coming and the mistakes that I've made and others have made to kind of help people guide them through um, times of uncertainty. And sometimes as a leader, I think uh, we feel like we're in the clouds and, and the clouds part. And for a moment, we get a glimpse of this preferred future of where the kingdom is coming and what God wants us to be about. But then very quickly, those clouds seem to come back and enfold us. We, 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 we've lost that glimpse. And sometimes it's really good to have um, a veteran sage that's been around the block a few times that can help us see through the fog and see through the clouds and maybe help us just figure out together how we get to where that glimpse was and what are the key things we need to shift or change or adapt or imagine so that we can get there. And I always, uh, I'm a strong believer in the concept of what I call collective IQ, meaning we're all smarter together than any one brilliant strategist. And what I've noticed around the world is that uh, churches or parishes or ministries that excel seem to have surrounded themselves with some of these outside, inside people 
that can give them another voice or look uh, at where things are going. Because we all know, Ron, right? We get a little myopic in our own juices. We kind of see things through our same lenses and the way that we've always seen. And so much in times where there's change needed, um, we get a little stuck because we come up with the same solutions that we've always maybe thought of. And I think the time during COVID has really shown us that. I think there are some that are more wired to be apostolic evangelists or um, people that think outside the box well. They've loved the time to reimagine the church, not its purposes, its mission, but its methods and its tactics. And for those of us that are not wired that way, it's been really hard. Like the playbook I've had for 30 years doesn't work anymore. I've got to get a new playbook and that's really stressful. And so a lot of people in ministry that are more wired towards the playbook, I'm sure have found this time uh, really a little more difficult. That's a good point. And so it's not necessarily because you're deficient, you're just hardwired differently and that's okay. Like you have other gifts, right? To bring to yeah. the church and to teams and just that's yep. one that you struggle with. Yeah. And I, you know, we could all look through the new Testament, um, or, you know, Ephesians chapter four talks about this, that, you know, some were, were gifted in different ways and in different seasons, you know, when there is a high pastoral time needed, there are the, our pastors really shine and we love them. Yes. But when there's times of disruption and challenge and persecution and change, you know, the, the, the need for the apostolic leader to see around the corner to help guide us uh, from one uh, spot to another spot becomes more prevalent. And so we really do need a complementary team of people uh, in the church. And I think mainly what I've discovered is senior leaders are really the ones tasked with seeing around the corner. Um, you know, discovering God's will, taking us where we need to go. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing when we get to see those people unleashed. Mm. Can I tell you one really fun story from my own hometown? Please. So I live, I live in a, a suburb of um, Vancouver and um, every Sunday afternoon, my wife and I go for a drive and um, uh, we love to go to 7-Eleven to get a big gulp. So we're on our way to get a big gulp. And we drive by our local Catholic parish. And it's amazing to see every Sunday morning, the cars line up for literally snaking in around the, the parking lot and around the corner lined up to get communion. And I get so excited when I see that because I thought, you know what? You know, maybe two years ago, never, no one ever imagined drive-through communion. <laughs> but yet... The church is being able to innovate to say, how do we, how do we do this? We're not, and I think if you would have asked someone, um, if you would ask bishops, can I do drive-through communion <laughs> two years ago? They would be like, you're crazy. No, you can't. But because things are changed, we have to innovate and think differently. And I love just seeing the innovation of our local parish doing a fabulous job of still administering the sacraments, but doing it in a way that they never imagined uh, 18 months ago. That's a good point. They would have been run out of town if they would have come up with such a crazy idea. But yeah, that's that's true. Well, you you, you talk about and and Brent, I want to throw this back at you because you said you know it's often senior leaders that are tasked with seeing around corners, and in our tradition, you know, it's the clergy that lead full out. And so you know, it's not like we only ordain 
apostolic leaders. That's not the case. We ordain, you know, people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and and Father James would suggest we've we've ordained more shepherds and teachers in the last fifty or hundred years, just because of the state of the church in, in terms of the exploration and um, and so. If you're one of those shepherd teacher leaders and you recognize that, oh my gosh, this is stressful for me, this is hard for me, what's your advice to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, my advice to them would be a couple of things is first of all, embrace how God's made you. Like it's not a mistake. Amen. You know, God has made you this way, God has called you, and accept that and be secure in that. If you're secure in that, it's easier then to say, well, where do I need help? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and again, I think it doesn't matter which way you're wired. We all need help. Uh, people that are apostolic evangelists, they need help. If they don't have some pastoral people around them, you know, it's not going to go well. And so we all need help. And so if we can accept and come to a conclusion, uh, kind of how God's wired us, then it's like, who do I need on my team that could really help me? Who fills my gaps? And if I'm not someone who sees around corners wells and imagines new possibilities, you know, who can I have on my, my staff team? Who can I have from maybe other priests that I know uh, or outside help or organizations like Ron, uh, Ron's or, or uh, Parish Catalyst or Divine Renovation? There are people mm-hmm. that can come alongside and help you. And I think really secure leaders who want the kingdom to come are able to say, where are my gaps? Where do I need help so that I don't have to be all things to all people? Because that's really hard to do. That's a good point. And that's where you helped us. Like you were involved on the ground when we did not have a leadership team at St. Benedict Parish. You were the consultant who literally did an evaluation on the staff, had interviews with the staff, and then helped with Father James craft our first leadership team. And that was so important for us. It was such an important evolution. And Father James would say too, like such an important evolution in his understanding of priesthood and leading out of a team. Uh, we just had years and years of ridiculous amounts of fun. And it was hard and we'd made mistakes, but we probably made less. And working together was a ton of fun. But what happens when, you know, because once you get that apostolic direction, once you are able to see around the corner, once you benefit from that collective IQ that, and are able to make decisions that you can feel more confident about and feel that they're right, they still need to be communicated. And so the only person communicating in our church is the local pastor, right? It's, it's the pastor of the church. It's one of the clergy that are going to be speaking into that. And so again, if you're a shepherd or a or a teacher, how are you, what would, your, what would be your advice? So you have somebody in your team who is apostolic. You have that collective wisdom. Is it, is it harder for them to communicate or how, what would they, I guess maybe well, get into some one of the yeah. things. Yeah, one of the things I think the Catholic Church, you know, with all its strengths that sometimes is, is difficult, you know, is your um, split between the laity and the clergy. You know, there's this idea that the, the clergy um, are the ones, and I think even in the training, oftentimes the clergy are the, the clergy has a role, and like that. Sometimes in the other traditions, there's a little less of that. There's a little bit more of a priesthood of all believers kind of philosophy of ministry, and so I think each side can benefit from the wisdom of the other side a little bit. Mm. But I do think in, within the Catholic context, sometimes um, 
uh, is it okay? Uh, and have I created a culture by which um, more than one voice is okay? Um, and, and can I empower somebody to help me in the area of my weakness to be able to say to a, to a, a parish, hey, I'm excited where we're going. You know, I'm really thrilled. I want to introduce so-and-so on my team. There are like, I just love listening to them kind of paint a picture of our future. And you know what? They're better at it than me. I'd really like to have so-and-so kind of do that for us. And at the end say, hey, I'm, this is us together. I'm for this. We're going for this. So even in terms of all sorts of ministry, Ron, I think this idea of where am I great? Who's better than this at me? Am I secure in myself? Can I let other people have a platform? Uh, mm-hmm. can, can I trust my team to be able to speak um, for us? Um, and obviously there are times where, you know, the priest needs to be the voice of things. Yep. Um, but I think uh, an organization grows as you have multiple leaders, strong leaders, rather than a single leader. Right. I think you've seen that through the years, as even at St. Benedict's, is the more that Father James empowered you as a team to lead. And, for example, you got to be a voice in so many areas and lead in so many areas. The church flourishes when our number of leaders grow, rather than a model where we're a little insecure, so we just want to be about us. Well said. Well said. And that's one of the things when we talk about having leadership summits and to continue to raise up your key leaders, a priest to raise up as key leaders, and then to love on the other key leaders in the church in a leadership summit, it gives us an opportunity to do that. And I think the ME25 survey helped us recognize too that we didn't have the idea of spiritual leaders, most people in the Catholic Church, idea of the spiritual leaders, you have one and it's your parish priest. <laughs> Everybody no. else is a schmuck. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, that's not true. Because we too in our tradition have a belief in, in the, you know, the priesthood of the baptized. And so we too have that theology, but it's the, the lived expression of it doesn't always translate. And so we did get very intentional about raising up other leaders, lay leaders who did have the spiritual gifts of pastoring and, and raising up others. And, and so, but it is something that doesn't, it, it needs to be intentional. Yeah. And one of the things, and I don't mean to get too theological by this rabbit hole that I'm going to take us down, <laughs> but, uh, but I think it's an important one is that when you look at the ministry of Jesus and yes, he is the son of God, he is God incarnate and he has a certain calling on his life that's different than us, but I think he does provide us an example. And so in his ministry, uh, we saw him ministering to the masses. And, um, but I call it, he embraced the end. He ministered to the masses and he raised up 12 men. And and sometimes there was an inner three and sometimes there were 70, but he spent an inordinate amount of his time raising up spiritual leaders to advance the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus say, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray of the word of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest field. And so basically, Jesus, when it starts that passage, looked over the towns and villages, and, and he kind of wept. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so in the midst of seeing all the needs that he could not meet, uh, he told us to pray for the Lord to, to raise up Lord labors of the harvest. But then in chapter 10, of Matthew, we see him gather the 12 to him and then begin to send them out two by two in a ministry training context. Uh-huh. And then we see him gather them back together to kind of hear how it went and, and talk some more. 
And so this idea that Jesus just ministered to the masses is, is he embraced an end. And so I, I, my challenge always is to people that are leading congregations is, have you embraced the end? Hmm. Have you embraced the end? Who are the 12 people you're raising up to do what you do so that one day, if you were no longer at this parish, you have raised up all these people with amazing spiritual DNA that are now spiritually leading throughout your congregation. And that really, I think, in crux is one of the battles of today, not falling into the trap of thinking, I got to do it all by myself. But one of the tests of my spiritual legacy is, who have I raised up that are doing amazing ministry in my parish because of the investments that I made in them? Wow. And that's not just a a Catholic issue. That's leadership in general, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? Protestant or evangelical churches or mainline churches have the same issue. It's really easy to think about, this is my ministry, and I get people to help me do my ministry, but I actually don't raise up people that can do what I do. And so I always ask, um, you know, when we talk about scorecard or dashboard in a church, like what are the things you keep your eye on to make sure we're on track? I always really push people, where does leadership development, spiritual leadership development show up on your on your um, dashboard. And the one that I love the most, Ron, that drives everybody crazy. <laughs> what percent of the people as spiritual leaders in your congregation, whether they're leading small groups or, you know, they're leading the greeting team on Sunday morning or, you know, whatever. What percentage of those spiritual leaders in your congregation have an identified apprentice leader that they're teaching them to do what they do? And I always say is that's going to tell me how much potential your church has for growth, because we all need to wrap our arms around people that come in. And the more people we have that are able to wrap our arms around people, the more our church will flourish. And so I always like to ask um, churches, what percentage of your leaders do you think have apprentice leaders? And usually that number is a little lower than you and I might hope. The challenge is, is are you willing to go on the journey to learn how to do that? And that's that's, what I love helping people with. Isn't that fun? And I would say too, because I talk about that as well. And the first thing is like, boy, we're going to have to tell our leaders what an apprentice even is, because it's literally in our tradition, not even a part of our vernacular. And the the reason why I love the word apprentice is, you know, we all can see how different leaders are formed in our culture. And so one of the models, what we use is this Western education model, right? Which is if you just go to, just go to seminary, I mean, just go to school, uh, you'll become a leader because you'll have learned all these things. Yes. And um, one of my sons is in the trades. He's a sprinkler fitter by trade, and he's a journeyman. He's got his journeyman. Well, to become a journeyman in that context, he needed 3,600 hours working alongside a master craftsman. Mm-hmm. And then he needs four one-month sessions in school for code. And if you look at, you know, the word apprentice, you think about how are apprentices trained in our countries? That model of on-the-job learning, on-the-job training is the exact model that Jesus used. He did not send the 12 to seminary. He did not send them to a Bible college. He said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will teach you everything you need to know to uh, become a spiritual leader. You're going to watch me feed the 5,000. 
I'm going to let you help me uh, along the way. But at some point, I'm going to say, like we did in Matthew chapter 10, okay, guys, you ready? I'm going to send you out two by two. Here's your instructions. Go for it. I'm going to gather you back. And by the end of this three year as a ministry, Jesus had raised up this cadre of spiritual leaders that could, the church could become the foundation of. And so I always, one of the things for me is my greatest joys in ministry uh, is the people that I've invested in, what they're doing now. That's where, where the pastors have been raised up or the people that have been raised up in congregations. That's what just gets me going. It's not what I do, but what I see my people do. And I think that's a really biblical uh, example uh, of what ministry is about, embracing the end, not just running your ministry, but raising up a generation of people that could actually do what you do. I love that. Well, Brent, as you share that definition, I'm one of those people that you've invested in. So I hope, I hope you can, I hope you take a lot of, uh, I don't know. I hope. I do, Ron. I, I hope I, I made I, you proud because I, I, I have learned so much from you. You do make me proud. And uh, you're a great guy with a great heart and God's gifted in many ways. And the chances you and I have had to spend together through the years, I, I have uh, treasured those. And I always appreciate the fact that when we do talk about things, you, you do take it to heart and try and figure out how do we make this happen. Yeah. So <laughs> Fair enough. That is true. That is true. One of the things that, Brent, you've uh, introduced me to a long time ago, and I know it's an important tool. I'm familiar, like the people that listen to the podcast are going to be familiar with APAS, and I know you just referred to it in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, a lot of them are, are very familiar with uh, Clifton Strength Finders because those are the two tools we lean into the most. But you've really helped us uh, through Berkman, and it's not ever a tool that I ever did get good at. But why don't just for our audience, why don't you share with them what it is and how you use it? That's great. So, again, I think a lot of times uh, self-awareness in a leader is really important um, and knowing how we're wired. And um, the, the great thing about strength planners is it gives us sort of, sort of like some key words, right? Like you have room or you, you know, all those kind of things. Well, what Berkman does is it sort of would take the raw data in behind the summary statements of strength planners, for example, and really help us understand more raw how we're wired. And Berkman is a tool that uh, came out of the U.S., uh, Roger Berkman, who was a believer, and at some point wanted the church to be able to benefit from all his research on, on personality and work styles. And so uh, probably more in the Protestant tradition that's really happened. So, you know, we're talking in Canada today, but uh, there would be organizations like the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada or the Christian Missionary Alliance or even in the United States ministries like CREW that they will have embraced this tool. Um, and the interesting thing that makes this tool interesting, it's a little more work-related, uh, but it separates usual behavior from needs. So one of the things they talk about in there, one of the categories we look at is, how, do I, how self-conscious am I to tell you what I think or feel? But then it will give us a need score that says, okay, like this is how I usually operate, but when I, when I want it back, how do I want it? And oftentimes it's very different. So Ron, we'll pick on your scores for a little bit. You know, Ron is a very straight shooter, bottom line to the point. But Ron likes feedback, lots more sensitively, encouragingly, uh, you know, in, in a sense of believing in him. And so the more we understand our teams, how we want to give and receive feedback, or how many balls we like in the air at one time, or how much structure we need or like, or how, how, how do we need to process our feelings? 
what do we need? And so I find this tool is really helpful for team leaders to know what does my team need and how do I need to change my usual style to help my team be the best version of themselves they can be. And so this tool really just helps teams work really, really well together by understanding each other better. And uh, we also kind of use it to help people think about even their ministry trajectory. What are the kind of things that I'm wired that God's given me that I should be about, um, you know, versus the next guy beside me? And so, again, self-awareness of, you know, with tools are really, really helpful for ministry leaders and for their teams to, to, to work really well together. And I've probably done over probably 2,000 Berkmans through the years with ministry leaders. And I just love sitting down with them and helping them kind of uh, look at the data of kind of maybe how they're wired and, and try and reimagine both themselves and their teams in a way that would help them work uh, really well together. And, and Ron, I, you and I have worked on a couple of teams where I've helped you guys with that. And that's always been fun together. Yeah, it has been fun seeing because I've had to bring you in in situations at times and, and you've just been such a breath of fresh air, brought another level of expertise that really freed up the teams I was working with. And it's been so helpful. I have to laugh, though, because as you're saying, you know, needs, it's so funny when you're on the receiving end of that and you're seeing your needs, you feel like such a needy person. And it's funny because I was like, as as I've worked with you with other teams going through that, they feel the same way I did. And, and they were able to speak it out loud. And I'm just dying laughing because in one sense, I, you don't want to admit to your needs because then you feel needy. You, you'd rather, I'd rather be, Hey, I don't need anything. I've got it all together, but that's just not true. <laughs> Some <Yeah>. humbling. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the thing that every leader, everybody has needs. Um, and, and, and Berkman would argue, and I would argue when your needs are met, Yes. You're a productive, effective person in ministry. So, for example, if you have a high need to talk about what you feel, but you don't, mm. soon the world looks dark and dingy and you're getting dysfunctional. And rather than if I just would acknowledge, I need people in my life to process how I'm doing. Mm. Uh, and when I do that, then, wow, the world's great and away I go. Or if I have a high need for solitude. Um, is that okay? If I just don't want to spend time with people and I need to recover and recharge my batteries that way, or if I need a lot of change in my life and I'm in a situation where it's always the same, I'm going to get a little dysfunctional if I can't articulate, Hey, what do you got new here that I could like, is there some new stuff I can dig my teeth into? So more that we know how God's wired us and how we, what we need to be at our best then we are, can be much better version of ourselves than if we're not acknowledge what we kind of need in our life to function well. And what's so fun about that is because when it comes to leadership in the church and, and transforming a parish, we're going to be more successful if we're working together and we're creating teams that function well together. But the biggest risk for teams is the fact that there's people in it. And we're going to we're going to have seasons of storming or tension is going to build. And if we don't know how to alleviate that tension, if we don't understand ourselves or each other, we don't have that language or understanding, then we'll often move to judgment. Yeah. So that's you're really right, Ron. So I'll tell you a funny story. So I was just doing some Berkman's yesterday with a ministry in a country and um, two of the strongest leaders have really high authority scores, like, like they like to tell everybody what to do. And yet both of them on their needs score didn't like other people telling them what to do. And so at times, you know, in stress, they're both trying to lead together. And, and so they're kind of running into each other. 
And being able to sit down and be able to say, look, you know, people, if you just lower your authority and come in more of a suggestive coach, got a few ideas for you, <laughs> rather than the normal style, here's what you need to do. That person will receive what you have to say a lot easier than if you come in kind of as the high authority. And they can kind of see that, but it's like, do we have the mature, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity to be able to say, I can do that. So I've, I've oriented myself, okay, I'm going to go meet with Ron now. I realize he responds better to suggestion. So I'm going to make a couple suggestions for him rather than my typical style is like, I'd really just like to tell Ron what he needs. <laughs> and so our ability to understand how everybody's wired really helps us as a leader. And then it doesn't, we don't take it personally that that's yeah. just how they're wired. And so it's okay, but how do we work together knowing that that's how we're wired? I know what everybody's thinking right now. Like, how do I get a hold of this Brent guy? We're going to give you his email address at the end because there's probably so many people listening to this right now. That's exactly what we're going through. Oh my gosh, you mean there's a possible solution? And I, I assure you, Brent is an expert at taking you and your team through this material. And it really it's so helpful. We found it so helpful. With some of the, sometimes you find yourself in patterns and you get the same patterns are coming up over and over again, and yet you can't seem to avoid them if you don't have the right information and the right understandings. And you helped us at St. Benedict with Father James and I just help identify patterns. And you made it so obvious. And we're like, oh yeah, we've been, we've been, we've been exploding in that area for years. And it's like, yeah, here's why. And this is all you need to do. It's like, you're kidding me. Like that's actually manageable. <laughs> we can avoid the pain of, of the tension that can arise when we're not dealing with each other. Well, <laughs> that's so fun. One of the other things that you mentioned when we were talking earlier was the work that you're doing with other traditions around succession planning. And I was hoping if it would be okay, if we could unpack that a little bit, like, I'd love for all of our listeners to kind of hear about it because I think there can be some similarities there and, and maybe even some opportunities for us in, in, in our tradition. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, uh, and I'm familiar that of your succession, how that works within your tradition in the, um, in the non-mainline churches, um, it's quite different. So it's now where if your pastor is going to retire or decides he wants to take a, go to another church, you as a congregation now have to, um, and, and maybe you're in a denomination that might help you with recommendations, but ultimately you're deciding who's going to be your next spiritual leader. And I think there's the process that I use helping churches with that. I think there's some good tie-ins that could even work really well in, in, in the Catholic context. And so one of the things that I like to think about when there's a leadership change is, um, you know, every time the children of Israel had a new challenge, like there was a new hill to take, you'll notice in the Old Testament that three things happened. They went back and recounted where God had blessed them over that, over their nationhood. They also then would tell oftentimes of where they kind of went into the ditch. Like, we forgot about you here, and we kind of went into the ditch. And so they would remember their pain points, and they would recount the lessons God had taught them as a people. And so I do think that um, that's really an important part to think about when we think about succession planning. Even if you were, you know, one in your tradition that worked in succession planning and helping parishes assign new pastors, is this idea of, you know, so I get the leaders, um, uh, the church council and key leaders to be in a process with me for a weekend where we 
we really examine those three questions. So we build a history wall mm. of the phases of the church. And uh, we then populate it with those three questions. Where has God blessed? Like, what did God bless? Like, what did we do right? Yes. Where's our pain points that we don't want to take with us as we move forward? And right. what are the key lessons that God taught us that we want to make sure we do that? And so looking back is really important before we look forward. And then the second question that we work on is, what's our dream? So imagine, you know, it's 2021 today. Let's imagine it's 2026. Ron, we as a group are sitting back and we're going to celebrate. This is a five-year celebration of what God did over the last five years in our parish. What would, what would we be celebrating? And we do that as a group and we do that as a series of exercises. So at the end of the day, we come up with, wow, as a team, these are the five top things we hope we could be celebrating in 2026. So from that falls the following question. We've done our history. We kind of know where we, what we want to take with us. And we kind of know where we want to go. Then the last question we work on is, what kind of leader do we need that can take us where God wants has put on our heart to go? Because I think there are seasons within different churches where, yeah, we do need a little more of a pastoral kind of leader here. But sometimes it's like we need a missional, apostolic, blow-it-up guy because where our dream is, we know we've got a lot of stuff we've got to kind of break through to kind of get there. And so as a, as a team, when you can come at the end of this process and say, hey, we know where we want to go. We know what we're going to take with us. Like, we don't want to lose that heart for evangelization that we had in the last thing. And then in light of that, we know the kind of leader we need. It makes it a lot easier then to say, you know, prayerfully, who has God uh, before us that we might consider that would fit, be the right fit for us at this time to move things forward? Mm. Mm. Well, that's a neat process. Like, that must be a, they, people that you bring through that must enjoy that facilitated, those facilitated sessions. Yeah, it's fun. And we do it as a team, a collective IQ, where we start with an individual exercise. Everybody gets to come up with their own answers to those questions. And then we put you in a team of five and everybody shares what they came up with. And then we say as a team, as a table, why don't you figure out what as a team, what you would answer that question as you think about that together. And then we put up the work of the six teams that have been working on that. And then we go, what's common among all of us that we all see? Uh, that is really a picture and, and sifting through everything to a point where you say, you know what, let's all, I, I, this is the fun part. You might have eight or nine things we want to think about that we'd be great at or celebrating. And then we give everybody a black marker and say, pick your top four. Right. And then it's amazing. Almost all the time, four things emerge that are really priority on the heart of everybody. And so we're saying, Hey, we can do some of these other things, but let's not miss these really four or five things that we think are critical to the future of what God wants to do for our parish. Mm. My gosh, there's a lot of rich lessons in that that we can implement and take with us in, in our tradition as well. We're, you know, Father James's latest book, Beyond the Parish, kind of touches on that stuff and just the whole idea of, you know, if we're going to, to do church while moving into the forward, if we're going to take our faith forward and grow, we're going to need to be thinking about those types of things maybe more proactively and, and see if we can't increase our success. Because in my lifetime, even in our diocese, we haven't done a particularly good job of that. Most of the churches that were doing really well, they died really soon or they, their trajectory yeah. significantly yeah. changed. 
Yeah, it really is important. The, the succession question is absolutely, you know, critical. And, um, you know, just to commend uh, what you guys did in Halifax there with the succession plan around Father James to see St. Benedict's continuing to flourish in a second generation mm-hmm. of a leader. You know, and, and that's our that's our challenge, right, is how do we pass the baton well so that things don't crash and burn? And in every church tradition, uh, you can look at it and say, when you pick the wrong guy, you know, you're in trouble. And you go back even to Holy Trinity Brompton, where Alpha came out of, to Sandy Miller doing an amazing job. Well, they worked really hard for Nikki to get that job. Yes. And they identify that. And so so you really have the second generation or second wave of, of, of amazing ministry. And then what's flowed out of that in terms of the church planting and all the multiple locations that have come out of that. And so we all know this, Ron, that everything rises and falls on the right leader in the right place for the right time. And um, that's really hard work. Um, but again, collective IQ together, can we discover maybe a little bit better way of doing it uh, where we make fewer mistakes and we have mm. more Amen. I love that. Brent, it's been such a treat having you on the show today, sharing your experience with us and unpacking a bunch of topics in ways that we don't always do. And so thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and all the work that you're doing to build the kingdom of God. Hey, Ron, always great being with you. Always enjoy our time together. As I mentioned earlier, there's probably people saying, how do I get a hold of that guy? Why don't you share with folks your contact? Yeah, and uh, just call Ron. He knows how to get on. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> uh, easiest way is to kind of email me. Uh, it's uh, Brent Dolfo, good Italian last name, Brent, B-R-E-N-T, Dolfo, D-O-L-F-O, at gmail.com. That's wonderful. And I can't say enough about the work Brent's done with not only us at St. Benedict Parish and and my time with him through Alpha, but also some of the churches that I've coached. And so, Brent, keep up the great work and God bless you. Take care, Ron. I hope you are raising up leaders in your parish, your business, and your homes. Being inspired by others Reaching out for help to be better than we could ever be on our own were always values we embraced at St. Benedict Parish as we grew in our impact and effectiveness. And I encourage you to do the same. Find someone you can trust and dive in. There are more and more great people in that space. If you want to see how we can help your parish or your diocese, go to ronhuntley.com and let's start the conversation. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.